What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets in the car, while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Everybody and welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition, Long Distance Love Affair Edition. Oh yeah, with Adam Pranica. Hi, Adam. Hi, uh, Adam of Friendly Fire, the the war movie podcast that he does with Ben Harrison and John Roderick. That's right. For the Max Fun Network and uh, Greatest Gen, Greatest Discovery. What else? Uh, those are those are the three at the moment. But you know, okay. now that we have all this time, Chuck, right. like, I mean, why not add? Another show. Another two shows, even. <laughs> Greatest virus. What else are we going to do? <laughs> exactly. So uh, Adam and I chatted for about 15 or 20 minutes before we got going here, because uh, you, well, I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this stuff, but you've just moved from Seattle to Los Angeles. I did. Yeah. Look, I'm I'm an open book to you and all of your listeners. <laughs> I feel like this is a very safe space. Well, you heard... COVID-19 was coming to Seattle, and so you're like, let's get the fuck out of here. Yeah, what a <laughs> what a strange bit of business to leave at exactly the right time. Yeah. But also, it's I, very, I kidding, it's very way, me to have it follow me yeah, everywhere, right. <laughs> the way that it has. So you moved to the safe little hamlet of Los Angeles. That's right. Yeah, where I can be alone, finally. <laughs> Ironically, you are. That's so funny how that yeah, worked out. Yeah, right? Uh, yeah, I was just kidding everyone. He did not move for that reason. But uh, you were in L.A. now, so you and Ben are in the same city, whereas you and John Roderick were in the same city before. So are you and Ben going to record together? 
I mean, we're in the same city in the sense that like oh, right. there are there are eight LAs and <laughs> yeah, Ben yeah. lives in one and I live in another. And yeah. tell you what, before things really locked down, that drive to Ben's place was a delight. <laughs> it was <Yeah. laughs> it was twenty five minutes of uh of no traffic driving. I mean I never I never really got the full LA experience once I got here. Oh, Almost was disappointing. Worth it. Were things already kind of uh, yeah. slowing down? Yeah. Yeah, the drawdown was in process when we were recording together. And we had to record together because when I got here, my entire studio was in boxes and we right. had no way to make the show unless I went over. So that was well, when it ended cool. up happening for a couple of weeks. And then... Well, you got uh, to see your buddy. I did. Yeah. And that's... And now I don't, which is probably for the best, <laughs> right? <laughs> For the best right now, but luckily we're in an industry and a medium that uh, you don't need a crew. You don't need. We've got the gear. Yeah, we're we're finally. I mean, I, I made a post on the Movie Crush page when I set the spiel up down here. I was like, guys, twelve years in, I'm finally the the old white guy recording a podcast in his basement. <laughs> I know we're finally here. I mean, we're all those people who laughed at us for turning podcast into a career. Who's uh-huh. laughing now? <laughs> we are laughing and coughing. Laughing and coughing. <laughs> oh, boy. It is a weird time. But the, that's kind of the cool thing, though, at least with us. We do these remotely anyway. So I'm just going to, you know, you're going to be on more than you probably want to be over the next couple of months. I hope so. I hope this ends up being my fourth show. Like like you and I should spin something off, Chuck. I don't know what okay. it is, but uh, I'm, I'm game. Off. I'm totally in. How about, uh, I don't know, something we know in. nothing about. Huh? In. <laughs> Gotcha. You're in. I love it. Uh, so, do you want to plug any any like uh, recent episodes of Friendly Fire or anything? I'm kind of behind on you guys because I've been obsessed with the uh, Ackerman REM podcast. But um, oh, that's a great show. Yeah, but which is cool because I've got like a ton of Friendly Fires that I can binge on now. I mean, I feel like we had some really. Like we had Lawrence of Arabia drop. I don't know when when this episode of Movie oh, Crush is going to come out, but tomorrow. What? <laughs> Great! <laughs> it exactly. is. That's how close we're playing it to the best of year. Wow! That you are a terrifying amount of on top of your schedule. That's great. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so Lawrence of Arabia has been out for a couple of weeks. <laughs> oh, what a fucking great movie! I, I did that on this show uh, remotely, unfortunately, but I had uh, I had what's his name, the uh, director. <laughs> Oh Jesus! I'm, da- I'm already David I'm already Lean. Drunk. Yeah, I had David Lean on. <laughs> now I had uh, good Chris, get. I had Chris White's. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The director Chris White's. Oh okay. That was not, his pick. Not as the his director of film. Lawrence of Arabia. That. <laughs> no no no. <laughs> now White's has picked uh, Lawrence of Arabia, so I've still not met him in person. But we had a great hour long chat about it. I bet it's. I mean. It's a meal of a movie, a lot like Magnolia is, and I am, I am ashamed to say, Chuck, that it was my first time watching it. Me too. Yeah. It's, yeah. Don't it's, feel bad, dude. It's one of those films that that film lovers hold in such high regard that I that it almost it was like uh, it was like holding two magnets against each other that were that were pushing each other away like i right. like i knew its significance and i know i love film but i was almost saving it for a time in my life that that i needed it two magnets one is lawrence of arabia 
One is Adam Franica. Yeah. Yeah. And they cannot get together. We're flipping those magnets around. <laughs> they're they're repulsive. Yeah, man. It it was quite a movie. And I, I think maybe you and I should try and make a point to find out where it's playing on a big screen one day. I know. Because I'm taking nothing for granted now with seeing friends. Like, I will fly to a city. Let's, I will fly to Chicago to meet you there to see a goddamn movie. I would love nothing more than that. Once once they open up the movie theaters, uh, I'm looking forward to sitting six seats away from you and, yeah. uh, and enjoying the hell out of that movie the way it was totally, meant to be man. seen. Unbelievable. Yeah, well, i got to listen to that one soon then. That sounds awesome. And I saw something else, someone on your, because uh, I'm a member of your... Uh, Facebook group. Okay. And they were you about are a, and I'm not. That's great. <laughs> None of you guys are. I don't interact. I just like to oh, see Oh, John is. Say. John Roderick's a member of that Facebook group and he no, goes in right. there and... I've seen, him, I've seen him post. All he does is fight with people. I know. That's his way. <laughs> the Roderick way. Yeah. I, I, when this whole thing broke out in Seattle, I texted he and uh, Ken Jennings and was uh, just making sure everyone was safe and Ken was kind of talking back and forth, and then John jumped in late and just, like, totally burned Ken out of nowhere. I was like, good to see Roderick still bringing the Roderick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he can be no other way. I uh, right. I mean, we we don't have a plan for losing Roderick, and I, I hope we never have to think <laughs> about that. I mean, well, Friendly I Fire would, would cease to exist. <laughs> oh, come on, man. I, I mean, I there's can... no way we're doing that show with Jason Finn, I can tell you that right now. I feel like I could step in there. You know, you're talking to me, right? I'm in the room. Yeah, I can. I'm looking right at you. <laughs> I know. I shaved my head. You like that? I am. I was actually looking at it with some envy because I am. Uh, you're a little shaggy. I'm about. I've got a little bit of a page boy going. I, I think. Like it. I think it's going to get pretty Michael Landony here <laughs> in another two weeks, and I need to. I need to embrace the. Uh, the, like putting putting two fists in the back of my head and just sort uh-huh. of like pulling it out and like yeah. embracing <laughs> embracing the curl down dude i think during this uh sequestration time like there's a couple of ways to go you can you can go unibomber yeah or you can you can just shave everything and that's kind of where i'm at cuz i got the hot whole thing. one day well, yeah, upstairs and down. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> it gets like muggy a... <laughs> in Atlanta. Oh, good Lord. So we're drinking tonight, everyone. It's 9.35 p.m. Atlanta time. That should explain the... <laughs> a lot for, for the listeners. The night, <laughs> the night before we're uh, releasing this, I'm drinking uh, red wine. I'm drinking a, a delicious Cabernet called Sexual Chocolate. Ooh. That is just, oh, man, it's so good. And the winemaker, I can't remember his name. He's really got a good sense of humor. It's kind of a fun uh, label. But what are you drinking? Uh, I'm drinking a glass of High West whiskey uh, oh. with a with a couple of ice cubes in it. I know that might be against whiskey code, but I like my drinks cold. <laughs> well, before we get going on Magnolia, I do have a couple of other things I want to talk about. Um, everyone is... Like there's like 20 people that still love me talking about Red Dead Redemption 2 <laughs> and the other movie crushers are probably sick of this but I just learned that you played because someone on the movie crush page said you need to hook up with Pranica yeah we really need to go out uh, we need to posse up Chuck now how, how do you do this how do you posse up well it hasn't worked very well for me in the past but I can tell you that uh, that you and I if we chose to do it we could go online and play Red Dead Open World. 
and oh, so and like go on missions and stuff. Like like it's the, and it's just you and me. Oh no! Unfortunately, it would not be just you and me. I think. Uh, were there I think, a bunch of fucking gamer assholes? I think that's the problem. I don't know if you can wall your your internet garden in that game in such a way that it could just be the people that you know and like. It should be that way if it's not. But the last time I tried this was many months ago. The last time I played Red Dead was many months ago, and it was a fucking riot of friends getting shot at and horses yeah. dying and all, right. all the stuff you love about that game. My, uh, my one question for you, because I just finished it like two or three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the dumbest thing you ever did in that game? Like biggest mistake, dumbest shithead move that you ever had happen. I still think about the death of my original horse that, oh, I, everyone that does. I love. <laughs> Genuine was the best horse. <laughs> was that her name? Yeah. And I can't figure out, like the mechanics of the game are still... Uh, totally inscrutable to me. So like, I know temporary horses pop up and you can own them and then you can like stable them and stuff. I lost a couple though that I liked. So I'm not quite sure about that either. I feel like I'm living with the ghosts of these horses because I see them (laughs) on the map and then I go to them and then, and then it's not them at all. It's some different replacement horse. And it's heartbreaking every time to get my hopes up for, for the ghost of horses past. Yeah, I had uh, um, this beautiful spotted uh, Palomino that I loved. And That's a nice sta- steed. Yeah, and stabled it, and like, I don't know. There, there may be something in how you die or when you die, but like, she kind of just disappeared. But you know, I went and found that um, the fucking white, uh, what's it called, the Arabian uh, up you in the did. woods there. Oh yeah! Wow. I spent two days trying to find and. That's good that time. Thing. That's time well spent. I, I yeah. haven't, I haven't, I haven't thought to do that, but that's amazing. Was that yeah, a good riding cool. horse? Yeah, there's like one area where it hangs out up in the the West Elizabeth, where it's all cold and mountainy. I'm not really snowy. good with the lasso. You gotta, you gotta like call the horse no, and no, no, lasso no. You don't it and have to stuff. Lasso it. Really? No, you can just creep over very slowly and calm it down and pat it and pat it, and then eventually you hop on and it bucks you, and then you just do that a bunch. Wow. Until, until you've got it. I gotta admit, I'm I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty obsessed with my uniform and like oh, assembling neat, like like yeah, I'm wearing dude. a Civil War hat for some reason. I've got <laughs> I've got like white leather gloves. No one should wear leather gloves in the yeah, old Emily, West. Emily, I'm sure Elaine too, did, like made fun of me a lot for how much care I put into my oh yeah fa- my hair, facial hair, my clothing. Yep, there <laughs> you cannot have enough fringe in Red Dead <laughs> Redemption. It, like fringe to the ground is what I think you need to have. Well, what happened to Genuine? How did you kill that horse? Train? Uh, cliff? I rode off a cliff. Obviously, I feel like that's <laughs> that's how all of my horses die is a cliff accident. And uh-huh. it's so, the thing about riding a horse off of a cliff, as I'm sure you know, is that it takes a long time. You live, you live with the bouncing, the, uh-huh. the bouncing. I, know, I haven't done it, believe it And the not. rolling. And then like, finally the horse falls into the river that's obviously at the bottom of the cliff and yeah. you're in the river and you both slowly die. It's, uh-huh. it's bad. It's a really sad scene. And I'm not that type of guy who will like save his game all the time in order to go back and 
like use a use a saved version of the game where Genuine's still alive. I like Oh right. I no, like to I play it I like yeah. to play it real, like where yeah. where death actually has stakes. So No, totally, except for the fact that you can't die. <laughs> as much as it hurts, uh Genuine is dead forever. Oh, that sucks. Uh yeah. the dumbest thing I ever did was I accident well, I did a few things that Emily just Every time she would watch me play, look like she was reading a magazine or Let something. Let me ask you this. Is she watching you play all the time? Because my wife hates it. She will no, no, not no. watch. She loved watching Skyrim. She hates uh-huh. watching Red Dead. No, Emily kind of enjoyed it because it was pretty. Mm. And it was, you know, it's a very beautiful game out in nature like that. But I every time she watched, I would fuck up and do dumb things. And she would just laugh at me. <laughs> and uh, That feels good. Oh, God. Um, the dumbest thing I ever did that was not in front of her, I accidentally pulled a gun on a train. And it was one of those things where I put it right back. And I was like, why isn't there a button where you can go, my bad, just kidding, Didn't no big mean deal. It. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude, it fucked everything up. I was toast. I really wish the gambling metrics were more substantial in that game because I feel like I could go into Red Dead and play poker for four hours if it were actually say, good. I bet that you played a lot of uh, cards, didn't you? And and the stakes are too low, and the know, game moves to too slow. Cents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I want to play a high stakes game in Red yeah. Dead, and and to my knowledge, one doesn't exist. I don't think so, man. You get in there, and and everyone's got like seven dollars. Yeah, that's. Not even worth the time. No, it's not. But I did play a little bit of cards. It's kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a I'll fun game. You, <laughs> I got to get back I'll, into it. I'll tell you off air what I did after I finished the game because it's a little disturbing and I don't want people to think of me that way. All right, only I so will just, think of you that way. Thanks yeah, for... <laughs> I don't mind. Thanks you for trusting know. me with that knowledge. You already know who I am. Uh-huh. Um, and the other thing I wanted to talk about too was... Uh, I'm sure you got the news today that Top Gun uh, Maverick has been postponed to the end of the year. I understand it. Which we're both sad about. It does make me very sad. Yeah, you and I were pretty pumped about that movie. You and I were talking about how uh, how we're predicting that this thing will be cyclical in a way mm-hmm. that uh, that people might be going out and then, uh-oh, we're, we're told right. to go back in again. Yeah. I wonder if we ever get to the point where these movies are released for video on demand because they have to be. Well, but, I mean, like how long do you keep Top Gun on the on the shelf? Like if we're yeah. in an if we're in a bad cycle in December, I mean, do you think about making it video on demand and you pay your $10 and you just get it on iTunes? Is that a I thing? Think, yeah, I mean, they they've already done that a little bit. They released that dumb uh well, I say it's dumb. It might have been all right. That Invisible Man movie, right? Uh, for twenty dollar for a twenty dollar rental, with the thought that like, hey, it's cheaper than taking a date to a movie, and we got to make a little bit of money back on this thing. Yeah. So I think there's gonna be a lot of adapting going on over the next year, man. With stuff like that, like studios can't sit around forever, man. Yeah, yeah, with with money on the shelf, really, is what they've yeah. got. You know, you were talking about meeting up in a city to see a movie. It feels like Top Gun would be a great okay. candidate for that. <laughs> Let's try to make right. that happen. Yeah, we'll meet up in, in Miramar. and uh... Perfect. I mean, that's just a short drive for me. You're doing yeah, all right. the work. That's not exactly. fair. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, 
you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual-wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. All right, well, let's talk about uh, Magnolia. This is our obviously the continuation of our, our P.T. Anderson series that we're doing. Um, I know that you know a lot of this stuff, but uh, for the benefit of the listener, there was I read a little bit of the trivia, and uh, after Boogie Nights, uh, he had a lot of uh, currency in Hollywood such that Michael DeLuca... Uh, executive, big big shot executive back then came along and said, I don't need to read a word. You have Final Cut and Carte Blanche for whatever you want to do next. And this was what he made. It's insane to think about anyone getting that in the late 90s, but it makes sense. In his 20s still, you know, he was like late 20s when he made this one. I really love that Paul Thomas Anderson had the wherewithal to not be like, I feel feel like a lot of people are like this. They're like, "Oh, really? That's really nice. You don't have to do that. Like, right. like let's work collaboratively on this on this project." But that he had the wherewithal to go, like, "I know this is rare air. No one gets this deal. I'm going to make exactly the movie I want to make, and I'm going to have no one give me notes. That's got to be yeah. the ultimate." Oh, totally. And he said. Uh... I think he said soon after he made it as a as a 29 or 30 year old whenever it was released that he said it was this is the best movie that I'll ever make for better or for worse. And then a couple of years ago in an AMA and then again on Mark Marin they were like, "Well, what do you think now or what would you say to yourself, the young you about Magnolia?" And he said, "I would tell myself to chill the fuck out and cut 20 minutes." Hmm. 
So uh, that's his take looking back on it. And I it mean, is a movie that a 29-year-old would make, like Boogie Nights was a movie a 25-year-old would make. I think that's a great point. I this was this feels like it was the first film I ever saw that made me feel smart as a film goer. Oh wow! Like what year was this? Nineteen ninety. It was ninety nine, man. Which ninety nine big, big movie year. So yeah, I mean the late nineties were chock full of my favorite films ever. But this was this is when. I had started going to college and right. taking film studies classes, and then this drops in a theater, and I just felt uniquely ready to see something like this and feel like it was for me. Yeah. I didn't know movies like this could be made in a, you know, by someone modern, and I'm saying modern at the time that I saw it. Right, right. You know, it was just, it was really significant like that. But I mean maybe we can save this for the end of the show, but like what 20 minutes would you cut? It feels like you either cut an hour of this film or you cut nothing. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you could make little trims throughout the whole thing to get it down 10 to 20 minutes maybe, or you could cut a a an entire Well, it's hard to cut a a subplot because they're all so intertwined. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I the know whole... Orlando Bloom was cut out. Entirely. Tell me about that. He played Worm. I did not know that. I knew yeah. that the uh, I knew that the rap was written by Fiona Apple. Oh, was it? Yeah, the rap who, that the little dated kid at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. I did not know that that was Orlando Bloom. That's interesting. Wait, Orlando Bloom. Orlando Bloom, right? Who is he? Was he the Pirates of the Caribbean guy? Legolas. Oh no no no! Not Orlando Bloom. <laughs> I was going to say that would that that would be, be interesting casting. <laughs> what a dumb shit! It no, was at it, the twenty minute mark that the whiskey Orlando, took hold. <laughs> Orlando, Orlando Jones. Of course, Orlando uh, Jones. Good yeah. lord! Yeah, Orlando Bloom. <laughs> That's that is funny. that is casting that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah, so he got Orlando Jones got cut out whole cloth and various other things. Like I know they cut some of TJ Mackey. Like they had scenes of him out in the wild, like wooing women and betting women. Yeah, uh, and some I think uh, some other stuff was cut that you know uh, it was probably like a four and a half hour movie until he got down to what like three ten I think three oh eight. Yeah, I mean this is a big meal of a film. This is this is appetizer main salad and dessert like it's right. <laughs> it's so much to take on and it's not a film that uh that i believe is diminished by taking it down in courses like that like i think yeah. you could pick it up and set it down I, like i don't think you need to do it all in one go to get what you need to get out of it and i and i do get a lot out of this film every time i see it yeah i haven't seen it in a really long time and this is a movie that i uh loved Back then, like I bought the soundtrack, obviously. We'll talk yeah. about Amy Mann, obviously. At did you get the score? I did not get the score. I got I, the score. Did you really? Yeah. Wow. John Bryan? Yeah. Yeah, Best so I got the, the, the soundtrack and I got uh, the, uh, I bought the screenplay, uh, the like the book edition screenplay. I have it too. That, that hardbound book is yep. on my bookshelf right now. Yeah. And it was because it was such a, this is when I was writing a lot more and I was in L.A., or no, actually, I wasn't. 
I was almost in LA, but I was about to move to LA to try and fucking write movies. And uh, like you said, it's just such a, like it's a screenplay if you're a writer that you want to go out and buy and read these, yeah. these monologues, you know? And there's a, there's a language in the script. I think like I get, I get a lot of enjoyment about out of reading Tarantino scripts too. Like there's a communication happening between script reader yeah. and script writer that is more familiar than you typically get when you read anyone's script just generally. And yeah. that's, that's why Magnolia gets the hardbound book treatment. Because if mm -hmm. you were, if you sit down and read it, it feels more conversational than scripts usually are. Yeah. Which is funny too, because it's such a, uh, writey movie you know like yeah uh so many parts of it like all the uh you know it is uh what is the line that they said in the bar about can uh angels and children yeah like these things they have these random lines like that that people would bark out that's not believable in how people talk at all no yeah but it but it works for the film and like entirely i think i think so too yeah, I mean those things those things really stick out when you compare this film with a contemporary film like stuff that comes out 20 years later is not given the benefit of a line written for the sake of a well-written line right. that that this film gets to pull off because of its runtime and because of its its final cut permission given to its writer director. Right. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I saw this a, a bunch of fucking times. I, I mean, I owned the DVD back then, too. Mm -hmm. And um, did not see it for, man, I haven't seen this movie in a long time. And I was a little worried mm -hmm. that it, will, it would have not have aged well in a way that, uh, in a, that a movie from 1999 might not quite, that I thought was just so amazing. I was yeah. afraid I was going to be a little disappointed, and I wasn't. I loved it all over again. I agree with you. I think I think the New Line Cinema logo is one of those ones that, like, when you go and rewatch a Miramax or a New Line movie from the yeah. late '90s, I think it's a coin flip right now about about how a film ages. I think you're right. And so I th I I felt like I feel like I watch this film every year for whatever reason, but right. there is definitely a little bit of a flinch when you see those logos pop up on screen, like, fuck, is this going to be like a Kevin Smith situation or is this right. going to be <laughs> something that, that lasts the test of time? Yeah. Is this going to be from dusk till dawn or is it right. going to be? <laughs> right. Yeah, it is. Some of those, uh, some of those movies I love back then don't age super well now. You're totally right. Um, and those studios might be the common thread. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, at the time, I, I ate them all up. I mean, I, it feels like New Line in 99 was the A24 of today. Like, yeah, in totally. terms of consumption, like, I, like that was almost yeah. my seal of quality. Yeah, and certainly Miramax. Um, yeah. You know, despite the, the, the creep that ran that company. Yeah. Uh, Miramax was always, was like, yeah, it's, it's got to be like a pretty good movie. Yeah. If not great. It's an interesting time to watch this movie because of its themes, right? Like the, yeah. the why are things happening-ness yeah. of it and how much that feeling pervades life right now for us and for everyone else. Yeah, this is a movie that I'd never um, 
like I was obsessed with it in a way, but I never really like sat around and got stoned and thought about what it meant for right. some reason. And it, but, and it's a movie that kind of begs you to do that in some ways. Yeah. But I didn't, I don't know why I just took it on its face value as this big. Sweeping. Not hanging out with a lot of stoners at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I knew no stoners <laughs> in 1999. <laughs> uh, I just took it on at face value, like almost a, a little more of a kind of a hippy dippy shortcuts or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's a way to watch this film. I think at the time where you just let it go through you mm-hmm. and then you go on about your day and then there's a type of personality that it, you just can't let it do that. There's the type of personality that goes back into the theater and sees it again and again, yeah. because like it's so dense that certainly there's something that I'm missing in these subsequent watches. And I, and that I think was my attitude with it when it came out, I just had to rewatch it. Yeah, I did too, for sure. But did you kind of delve into the, like, Oh, what do the frogs mean? And and like all these, you know, all the symbolism and this different stuff, or were you just sort of along for the ride of this big epic sort of interwoven tale? No, I mean, I got, I was certainly curious about knowing whether or not there was a specific message that that PTA was sending in it. Yeah. But every time I I sought that out, it was a cast member. It was like it was like mm-hmm. Philip Seymour Hoffman saying something like, "Well, it's obvious to me and it should be obvious to everyone else that like the senselessness of life is equivalent to a rain of frogs." Like that's that's life like anything can happen anywhere and we shouldn't be surprised when things like this do and like reading enough interviews with big thinkers like that made me you know set that question aside a little more like like it's easy to make that the obsession of the thing because it's the it's the centerpiece of the film yeah uh but it's almost so like if you can do that, if you can, uh-huh. if you can actually ignore the frogs somehow, yeah, there's so much more here that's worth interrogation. Yeah, I think I'm able to, and always have been. I certainly was last night. Um, and the, and when the frogs come, man, it's it's that first thwunk on the it's windshield of great John C. Great sound Riley. design. It's, great sound design. It's, it's awesome. scary. Yeah, and it's weird. Yeah, and the first and you can't. It's one of those movies where. You want to remember what it was like the first time you were in a theater. Yeah. If you didn't know that was coming and the what the fuckness of it all. Um, but I never really explored too much what I thought it meant. I thought it, I thought it just worked as a thing, you know? Did you uh, – what were you feeling physically during those moments? Like, Like, this is such a visceral film. It's so much more visceral than – most other films and Mm. most other Paul Thomas Anderson films, like for its three hour runtime, like I can't remember uh, getting more chills or like holding back sobs or, or all of the rest, like that, that frog thump is one of them, but like the chills of the, like the ambulance going through the intersection and the, and the rain of frogs, like moving from background to foreground is such an amazing like there are 10 parts of the frog scene that are amazing, but like that individually 
yeah. is incredible. The the tilting of the ambulance on its side. Uh, so cool. Is so cool. Uh, yeah, although I will say last night for the very first time and as many times as I've seen this, when I was watching that scene and the ambulance is driving, I was like, just fucking stop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like, hit the brakes, dude, and just stop. It but was also like, they're so close to the hospital. Like, well, I understand I the instinct it. to keep going. Yeah, I guess that was it. I mean, it is an ambulance and they do have a, a sick, you know, an, an overdose <laughs> Julian Moore in the back. The uh, the Cinerama in Seattle had a 1999 film festival, late 90s oh, film festival. Yeah. Uh, and I think I mentioned this when we were talking about Boogie Nights, but like this is a great theater in Seattle that programs many festivals around dates like this. And I got to see Magnolia again in the theater. Oh, nice. And I will say, because I need to say, I can't just praise the Cinerama in Seattle. They did a terrible thing in firing a bunch of their employees and closing the theater for remodeling in a way that before the pandemic was disgusting and awful. And like all of the employees there are are great. And and I miss the idea of them working in that great theater, like full stop. That needs to be said. But, oh, I didn't know that. But to see that movie in a in a theater like the Cinerama was such a treat and the sound of those frogs was so special because that yeah. single thump was huge but also like when uh when Jimmy Gator is holding the gun to his head yeah and you cut to the exterior of the single frog falling uh-huh. through the sky so good man you get that little yeah through the air <laughs> it's it's great. Well, fall, yeah, falling through the skylight. There were so many little bitty yeah. touches with the frog stuff. Um, when at the, after uh, after John C. Riley helps Bill Macy return the money, and there's at the very end of the film when they're standing there, there's they both slip a couple of times. Yeah, and when the car starts to back out, it kind of does that. It kind of like shimmies a little bit because it's slipping on those fucking frogs. My, those little details are so cool. My low key, one of my favorite characters in this whole movie. Is uh, is Donnie's neighbor the old lady who he bar- borrows the car from? Oh yeah. <laughs> all you all you get is her her Donnie O'Donnie, uh-huh. and then you see the garage that's totally <laughs> totally sparse. It's a ladder and that car, and it is mint condition. Yeah. I I love her, and I love that car. Yeah, it's interesting if you if you cut any storyline. Bill Macy's would probably be on the chopping block for me more than any other, but I, I that's not saying I, I want to lose it, but I, that's the I one that I do has feel the, the same way. You know, it's got the least crossover, I guess, but I thought it was pretty brilliant having this grown-up version of Stanley, essentially, and like uh, as a sort of nod to what Stanley might become. There's something so aggressive about how Henry Gibson's character treats him in that bar. Like, Oh man, there, Henry Gibson's so great. There are so many scenes of, of interpersonal drama and conflict and all of them are like so concentrated yeah. and distilled. And like the Henry Gibson stuff is, there's not that many scenes with him and Bill Macy together, but no, but they are absolutely sword fighting at that bar. Oh yeah, yeah. Over the uh, yeah the the, the braces uh, 
brace-toothed bartender. I can't <laughs> put on oh, the man. Breakfast in America album without thinking of this movie. Oh, yeah. Goodbye, Stranger Man. It's right there. It's the great. Whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, I love uh, it. You know what? Actually, now that I think of it, dude, you and I, next time I come to L.A. and I'm allowed to travel to L.A., and I can hug your sweet neck. <laughs> we are going to go get drinks at the Foxfire room yes, I in want... Valley Village. Have you done that already? No, I've never been there. But that bar, uh, my my, uh, my main hang in L.A. when I lived in Los Feliz was uh, the drawing room. Yeah. I don't know if you've been there before. but I have. <laughs> I the have. drawing room, when yeah. Magnolia came out, I uh, that doesn't surprise me, by the way. Uh, when the drawing or when the when Magnolia came out and that scene in the bar started, I was like, "That's the fucking drawing room." Yeah, and it's very much laid out the same way, but upon further like, you know, that's Dan Harmon's like local. That's his. That's his local drawing room. Yeah, he's in there all the time. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, nice. Some friends and I went to drawing room uh, like back when we were visiting L.A. Yeah, uh, like we knew to seek it out. Really. And we spent an entire day there just getting fucking hammered and and like uh-huh. taking over that juke. Yeah, yeah, dude. The drawing room is great. I was I live like a mile down the road and that that was my hang. We were there all the time. Um opens at eight AM. I know. On the, it says so on the sign. Yeah. Uh and it's I got a little quick story about that too. I was doing a laundry uh, two doors down in that little shopping center or whatever. That's where I did my laundry and I did laundry one day at like 10 a.m maybe 9 a.m and i thought i'm gonna go over to the drawing room just to see yeah. who's in there at 9 a.m and i went over there and it's exactly what you think it was like and we should say too the drawing room has no windows no so 9 a.m feels like one in the morning as far as they're concerned yeah. except when that door opens it's a time jarring, machine yeah you know that dr- that jarring thing when a windowless bar during the day, the door opens and everyone's yeah. like, ah, yeah. But there were, uh, there were like the four regular drunks, uh, this guy named Henry. I think he's still around even was there. And then there was like three bros up from the night before still going at it. And that's who's there at nine in the morning. That's the clientele. That's the clientele. But, you know, like a, a lay person might be listening to these stories and thinking like, this isn't the place for them. It may be like dangerous sounding or like they might be unwelcome. <laughs> but I think you, you'd agree that there is no place more welcoming than the drawing room. Oh, no, it's great. Like, it's not like, like some scary bar. Like, don't be a fucking tourist. Don't be a jerk and an idiot. But like, you can go to the drawing room and have a great time yeah. and, and enjoy it for its many pleasures. It's, it's great. Yeah, that's I love great. it. Those, those old uh, Frolic Room, obviously, is another one. These old LA bars with the big uh, buttoned pleather booths and uh, and the and the bars that have the pleather around the outside of it. It's just I'm so, so great. sad, Chuck, because like not to make this about me, but the <laughs> but the pandemic has really stunted my LA experience. Like I you I was just excited there. I was just excited to come down here and like Ugh. basically live in vinyl booths yes, for dude. for months vinyl and months, booths. and I haven't gotten my booths. I'm so sorry, man. You'll you'll get your booths. I'll, I mean, I'll be in those booths with you. I hope so. I hope so. Uh, so LA's a, a li- LA's a big character in this movie, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, this is, uh, and I look forward to uh, 
to him getting back to that. Like I've loved, he did Boogie Nights. He did Heart Eight. He did this. Uh, what was right at? Oh, Punch Drunk Love, I yeah. think, right? Which unfortunately we I already did. So we're gonna have to skip that one. We but, are not skipping that, by the way. Are we going to do it again? If you all want right. me to keep doing this series, we got to do all of them. <laughs> all I'm, right, I'm holding this series hostage. All right, fair enough. We'll do it again. Uh, you, you and Tony Hale will have to go at it as to who's up. You know, I was best. I was at that live sketch fest show with Tony Hale. Like oh, I, that's right. You I were saw there. that show. All I right, love so Punch you... Drunk Love. <laughs> I'm not going to step on any on any toes there. We'll go in a different direction. I promise. Oh, no, I'm sure. You can't go in the uh, Tony Hale direction. You know what what's interesting the... is that you can find the Boogie Nights house on the map, but you can't find Jason Robard's house from Magnolia. Like, I I really looked for this house, and I can't find it. Does it ever show the exterior? A little bit. Like, you see its doorstep. And then I guess you see Julianne Moore drive her Mercedes into the garage. I guess you don't see too much of it its exterior now that you mention it but i just wondered if it was a stage it's, wow i wonder if it was so i'm looking at his filmography now because i was i couldn't remember what came after punch drunk uh there will be blood he took a five-year break so he did he does my point was he he's he did these fully la valley movies yeah and then went in a really different direction career-wise yeah with there will be blood and then the next one was uh the master jesus i can't wait till we do that one i haven't i've only saw that once you and me both that's gonna be a four-hour show for us you know what movie i have not even seen inherent vice that is the only paul thomas anderson paul thomas anderson film i've seen i've seen once I never saw it, dude. I got I heard bad things from enough people to where I made a conscious choice to not like ruin one of my favorite filmmakers, but I've since heard from other people like no, dude, see inherent vice. Like you got to. I'm reluct like I'm resistant to really going all in on PTA's adaptations. Like I want him to keep writing and producing his own movies. Like what I else want, was an adaptation? I want to see him and I want to see him do his voice. What else did he adapt? No, I'm talking about about that film, about Inherent uh, okay. Vice. Like, yeah, yeah, I like, thought you meant it was more than one. Like I don't he's uh he's so capable. And I understand. Yeah, don't even do it. I understand if you're him, like it's gotta feel good to just take a breath and adapt something and and do it for the challenge, like not holding that against him at all. But like as a consumer of his work, I have my preferences and I'm sure you do too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I only saw There Will Be Blood once now that I think about it as well. Really? Yes, just one time. Oh, he, that, he started making really challenging films. That's like, going to be a good one. You know what? You're not wrong at all. You know? I wonder... I wonder where that comes from because you get Magnolia and you get carte blanche. Mm -hmm. You get the whole thing. And then like, we'll talk about this with punch drunk love, but like that is not a permission that is granted forever. Right. And yet you look at punch drunk love and you think that that casting is a risk. 
the story is not mainstream. Uh, the people who love that movie love that a lot. I'm one of them. And then he somehow turns that into There Will Be Blood. Not exactly a return to mainstream. No. <laughs> you know, like, it's almost like like he keeps adding middle fingers to people who bankroll his projects. Like, if you yeah. if you think that was difficult, how about There Will Be Blood? Yeah. How about The start- <laughs> Master? How about Inherent Vice? Like, he keeps doubling and tripling down on this stuff in a way that I really admire. Yeah, I do too. It's interesting, though, because he, he started making films where there was no body to root for at all. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's interesting cuz he made these he's family obsessed. Yeah. Uh we talked about th- that a lot in Boogie Nights. In yeah. this film there is uh the the almost uh duplicate story of two TV hotshots, Jason Robards and uh and Jimmy Gator, uh Partridge and Gator who have both have children they're estranged from and both abuse them. Uh, and are and don't have a relationship with at all. So yeah, it's it's weird that he went with. I mean, he's got a family thing and a dad thing for sure, but it's weird that he put he felt the need to put two of those in this movie. Yeah, I thought so too. I mean, and they both hit incredibly hard for their oh, own yeah. reasons. There's like the Gators are so interesting to me. Like, <laughs> uh. I, like you and I talked a lot about in Boogie Nights, there's so many lines that we use socially. Yeah. <laughs> there are Magnolia lines that I use socially. Like, I don't uh, know if you have any of those, but like, I'm what, fucking what hammered, Bert, is one of them. Oh, really? Yeah, like, are you drinking? As fast as I can. Uh-huh. <laughs> I and don't know if I have they any. all seem to belong to Jimmy Gator, which is the worst because he's one of the most loathsome characters in the movie, but he has. Such great lines. And because it's Philip Baker Hall, like yeah. they're imbued with like the most gravitas. I know. And you know what? It's a character you want to like because he's this old dying icon. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the big gut punch is is the uh, reveal of the, uh, and I was about to say possible molestation, but I think his his saying, I don't know what happened is confirmation, yeah. you know? Uh, there are so many, there are so many minor characters in this movie that you can't even call minor characters because Rose Gator gets a centerpiece scene in this movie. Oh man, Melinda Dillon, so great. Love She's her. so incredible when when she goes off on him when yeah. when he can't say, but not being able to say is the indictment. You deserve to die alone. is yeah. what she says. It's such a. And she's great. I'm just I adore Melinda Dillon. I and do too. Yeah. She does so she does so much and he uh he gave her such a, a plum, even though it's small, it's, you can still have like a great role even though it's small. Just massive. She's she's so good in this movie. And and so many of the smaller parts are. They're fully realized. Yeah. Yeah. This may be a while because I'm now I'm starting to think of the cast. Yeah. Uh, the, the great Ricky Jay is the narrator yeah. of that whole great beginning sequence. The bookends. Which ends. comes back around. But man, those bookends, he takes a full, I mean, between the bookends and the uh, the kind of Boogie Nights-esque uh, 
montage setting everyone up. It's it's 17 minutes into the film before narrative yeah. action gets going. It so is. I mean, the setup takes so long, but it's so satisfying, too, because is, the man. stories are so good. Like, it's story within story. We get our three for the preamble, and then we're into to putting our game pieces on the board, and that lasts for a good 15 minutes, understanding where everyone is on the board and what their yeah. motivations are. Yep. And... It's it's so beautifully done, and it's not. I feel like in a lesser person's hands, this would feel hack. Like you're you're being told, you're being signaled that this is a film about a thing, right? And and in saying that, I am saying that the preamble does that in Magnolia, but it's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't. It's so well told. It's almost as if the quality of the story was being told in the preamble. Forgive any element of it being hack at all. And mm. by the time you're two hours into this, the preamble is so far in the past, you're not really even processing that until until the epilogue, you know? Yeah, until it comes back, for sure. And, and you're right, like, he, he does that thing that sort of amateurish filmmakers can do, which is, here is the theme of the film. yeah. Uh, but it works, Webster's man. Dictionary says coincidence <laughs> is. <laughs> but that's what he does at the very beginning. Yeah, he, yeah. He's basically like, this is a movie about how chance and coincidence don't happen. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, he could have, I guess if you're looking to cut things, he used three stories at the beginning. Probably could have, could have gone with two, maybe. But but that pattern of threes is something that Paul Thomas Anderson does all the time. Yeah, like there's, you're right. There's always a rule of threes for him. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and that and the and the opening narration too with Ricky Jay that yeah, uh, this cannot be one of those things. Yeah, this please cannot be that. Yeah, these strange things happen all the time. And then that needle drop with Amy Mann, so great, man! What a great fucking opening. I I love it so much. There's I mean Ricky Jay should have should have had a more developed uh career as a voiceover artist. He should be he should oh, have yeah. been the number one voiceover artist for the last 40 years. Yeah. He's incredible in this. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, he gets just a kind of a small part as uh, I guess what is he like the producer of Jimmy Gator show? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the uh He's, I mean, but, but who is better than him at taking a little and making it a lot? Yeah. Like there's so much weight into, in his relationship between him and, uh, and Philip Baker Hall. Like you don't know their relationship at all, but when, when Jimmy Gator steps to the curtain and they're together before he goes out, you know everything about their relationship at that point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And he does that. I mean, he takes such great care with his small roles. Yeah. Like, there's never a throwaway. Uh, we already talked about Henry Gibson. Yeah. Prop, maybe a little bit of a nod to Nashville. Uh, Alfred Molina as Solomon Solomon. I and love Solomon great, Solomon. Oh, man, that great little scene that he has. He's just so great at playing this sort of ambiguously ethnic 
dude. <laughs> He's great in that scene, but I want to nominate the guy standing over his shoulder yeah. as the you don't need braces, Donnie. Like like the guy who just he's he's, he's Jimmy two times with the repetition of everything Solomon Solomon is saying. It's so great. Yeah. And you get the feeling he's saying you don't need braces, not because like you shouldn't do that. He's saying it almost like with a tone of you look great. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's encouraging. Uh, April Grace as Guinevere, the interviewer of TJ Mackey, yeah. is so good in this movie. And she's just so like, I think she she's so easily overlooked Agreed. in that role, you know? And think about the compositions with her, because that scene is all about uh, getting closer and closer and closer. Like we start uh-huh. out wide with TJ Mackey and he's like doing his karate kicks in his underwear. Like, oh God, that's so great. Like we're getting two shots with them. And then that entire sequence is like about getting closer to Tom Cruise, uh-huh. closer to April Grace as Guinevere. And, and she has to be Tom Cruise's equal. She has to go toe to toe with him Yeah, in that scene. And, that is a huge challenge that she rises to and succeeds at. She's amazing in this movie. She does yeah. it. Yeah, because it's not only Tom Cruise, which is intimidating enough as as a, um, you know, she was a young actor at the time, uh, but it's Tom Cruise, like, chewing fucking dialogue and scenery in the most over-top, over-the-top yeah. sort of Tom Cruise way that you could be as Frank T.J. Mackey. And... And I'm sure he, that was part of the, uh, I'm sure that was part of the vibe in those scenes was the intimidation of Frank T.J. Mackey is the same intimidation that Tom Cruise brings in there in the room. It's so interesting that like all of the, the verbal lessons that he teaches in Mm -hmm. that seminar are things (laughs) that you can hear he and Doc and Captain Muffy use when they talk to anyone else. Like he's using this coded language with her. Yeah throughout those scenes and those and his two handlers are doing the same thing yeah yeah it's just it's i've I've been it's sort of like uh i worked on a tv commercial with michael bay once and shut the how have you not told me this story (laughs) oh man was it the doritos commercial in the elevator no it's like a chevy trucks thing i've got some great stories from that job it was like a two-week thing all over california um it was great but it's the same way there's like this culture that is set uh, the same way that Frank Mackey's organization runs um, on like a Michael Bay job. And it starts with that top asshole and and works its way down to everybody. Yeah. I'll I'll tell you some stories at some point. Remind me (laughs) when we're at the Foxfire room. I really, I can't (laughs) wait for that. It's going to be awesome. But let's talk quickly about, uh, before we talk about Tom Cruise specifically, who... You and I are, I mean, it's weird to say fans of because uh, I'm so weirded out in anti-Scientology, but you and I are both fans of Tom Cruise's work. And uh, we're not we feel the same so. way in that yeah. way. There are there are unfortunate aspects to being a Tom Cruise fan, but I am, like you, uh, I will go see every Tom Cruise film. Yeah, and I think he's a fucking hell of an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but the uh, and it's so misogynistic the the seduce and destroy seminar, but I know you and I know your sense of humor, 
And there are so many things that I know that Paul Thomas Anderson meant to be wrongly funny yeah. about about the seminar. <laughs> right. Uh, and here's a couple of them. Uh, one of the slides, I don't know if it was a slide or, yeah, I think it was one of the slides from his, his book was uh, How to Turn That Friend into a Sperm recept- Receptacle. <laughs> yeah. Just the worst fucking thing you could imagine. Like, so disturbing. It's it's almost an exercise in if you were to pull that back into, like, make it half as disgusting, it would be worse. Like, you almost yeah. need to press that all the way into 10 out of 10 in order to come around yeah. to the other side of that being laughable. Oh, absolutely. Like, he has to be, and and it's gross to watch, but he has to be the most, like, disgusting misogynist and it has to be a room full of these uh woman hating um what's what's the word these guys these days there's a word for it these guys that don't have sex that want to oh uh you're talking about incels yeah and they hate women because of that these incels yeah that's what it was it was kind of before that was popularized but you fill a room full of these awful men that just seem like they hate women, but all they're trying to do is bed them in in a gross, like, grudge-fucky way. It's so, like, so gross to watch. There's a scene I'm thinking of when you were, when you were saying that that's, like, it's almost therapeutic when that one person in the crowd tells their story and TJ Mackey comes up off of the stage and puts his hand on his shoulder and he's like, I don't think there's anyone in this room that hasn't felt that way before. Yeah, because the guy says, uh, she just doesn't think of me that way or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, and what TJ Mackey is saying verbally on the page is true. Like, that that is painful, that realization. Oh, that's the worst thing to hear, sure. But... But in the context of that room and what's happening, it's so yeah. interesting to see that that sort of statement weaponized, yeah, and and turned <laughs> awful. Yeah, the other thing I thought was funny was, and and I know they had a good time with this. Was the uh, it's this big seminar about seducing women and all this thing? Was the whole calendar bit? Get a calendar? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it. I, I, there's like 10 lines dedicated to the calendar, Chuck. It's like, I know. It's, it's a 99 cent <laughs> thing you can get at the drugstore. Like, there's 10 different versions of that line in the movie that I love. Oh, yeah. And, he, and he's like, because, uh, you know, if you have the mandatory whatever day waiting period, like, how are you going to know when that happened, guys? Yeah. Unless you have that paper yeah. calendar hanging up. Yeah. It's like pre-iPhone, which is like this And he makes time. himself magnanimous, too. He's like, now I've included that for free. That, right. Like, that's in your packet. <laughs> Well, let's talk about Tom Cruise, man. I mean, he, you know, the story was he saw Boogie Nights and called Paul Thomas Anderson to England to visit him on Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah. To basically say, you're the real deal, man. And anytime you want to work with me, let's do it. And this character is so, uh, it's so real, man. I've known these guys that like, these are the guys that I never ever, and I was never like really good friends with any of these dudes, obviously. Mm-hmm. But these like guys like you and I, we want to go out to a bar and like when we were single, let's say, if we had known each other, we go out to a bar and hang out with each other so we can fucking hang. We right. weren't there looking over each other's shoulders like, who am I gonna who am I gonna get tonight, man? Who am yeah. I gonna take home? 
I, I went home alone every time. I did too, man, because I was too busy hanging out with my friends. Yeah, like, yeah. I was never like out there trying to get laid. Maybe that's a problem. I don't know. Maybe we did it wrong. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure we burned our best years uh, <laughs> on on people like each other. Oh boy, that's the line, man. That's yeah. the line. Uh, but yeah, I knew some of these some dudes like this though. That like you couldn't even talk to them when you're out because all they're doing is scanning the room like a predator. Yeah. Yeah. And it's fucking creepy, man. Yeah, it is. I can't imagine what it must have been like to like get a phone call from Tom Cruise, A, mm-hmm. and then B, he's shooting a Kubrick film, and he right. wants to talk to you. Yeah, and about, you're 28 years old. About or what might be next. Yeah. And not only that, like to have your next thing be something that should repulse someone like him at that part of his career, right? Mm-hmm. Like if this was anyone else but Paul Thomas Anderson, I don't think Tom Cruise does this at all. And it's an easy decision yeah. for him to say no. Sure. But this is one of the ultimate examples of an actor really wanting to work with a director regardless of part. Yeah. And he takes it and he runs with it in such a way like he he ran all the way to a Best Supporting Actor nomination. He's spectacular in this movie. In a, it's amazing. In, a, in an ensemble where, there should, where the entire Best Supporting Actor and Actress category should be filled with every performance in this movie. Yeah. No, you're, you're totally right. Yet he manages to stand out uh, somehow. Yeah. He... Um, like Emily hates Tom Cruise. Uh, it's well established on the show. But yeah, uh, last night she was watching, uh, not watching, kind of doing her own thing while it was on, and I was watching it. And when he comes on as as Frank Mackey at the seminar and starts doing that thing, she's just she's so repulsed. And I'm like, that's it's that's supposed how good to be repulsive. Yes, that's how good he is. Yeah, is he's playing the worst fucking version of of a man. That there is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and by the end, like when he goes into Jimmy's house, you're made to feel empathy for him. And that is one of the magic tricks of this film. Totally. Is is that he shows up laid bare. He's going to drop kick those fucking dogs if they come yeah. near him. Yeah. And he's going to get his bedside moment. And that breakdown is one of the it's one of my favorite performances of any actor in any movie the barely yeah. holding it to, the barely holding it together tom cruise is one of my favorite actors that yeah, version of I, him totally dude and it's like uh you spend this whole movie looking at this guy and just thinking like what a fucking garbage man this is he's the guy that makes good guys like us look bad. Mm-hmm. So guys like us have an especial like an especially visceral reaction to someone like this. Mm-hmm. Uh and then you learn the big reveal at the end is this awful thing that his dad did. Yeah. He abused him and he uh he he left his wife, his dying wife to his young son to deal with. And then all of a sudden at the end you've got this like broken down man not excusing behaviors, but yeah, it's it's like you said, it's that magic trick of like fuck, man. He he got kicked in the nuts when he was a kid. That that line that I hang on every time is 
is like he brings it to a point when he's like, because I'm not going to take care of you. Like he's not going to take care of his father the way he was made to take care of his mother. Yeah. And that hits just so hard. So hard, man. Uh, on a lighter note, the other, the other seminar, I'm looking at my notes now, the other seminar thing that I thought was so funny. All right, guys, we're going to move on to uh, this next bit. Uh, how to fake like you are nice and caring. <laughs> <laughs> I love it so much. Like I, I, there was a, I mean, I'm still this guy, but there was a time when I would, I would just be combing eBay for props for movies like this because I, I really loved for a time trying to get the crew shirt of, of a Magnolia, which I had for a time. What else do you have? And like crew shirts from other films from the late nineties. But like, how badly do you want the blue book? Yeah. <laughs> from the TJ Mackey seminar. Like I want that. Uh, it could be blank pages inside. That's fine. Yeah. But I want no, them. I, I want not. the blue book with the cover of that stupid looking wolf with Searching the leather vest. Straight. Yeah. I want what that. What else so do you bad. have? Have you ever bought some cool stuff? No. I mean, my, I mean, my, my interests are so specific that they couldn't possibly be found on eBay. Like I, I, like I'm too hyper specific about individual props that they're yeah. just like that belongs in in someone's office. Yeah, I hear you. Hey, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude Tanneritos. As a nostalgic voice from your past, I'm here to remind you that amongst the stressful and chaotic existence we live in 2024, you deserve to get away. It's time for a vacation, no matter when you're hearing this. And let me tell you how you'll get there. The 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Want to bring the family to the mountains with the Santa Fe's available H-Track all-wheel drive? Well, it's got standard third-row seating and available dual wireless charging pads for the kids who just want to stare at their phone and not talk to you. You know what I mean. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade, at The Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to Bring out the most in our patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day Savings Event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in-store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.
All right, so uh, everyone should know that we both just took a little potty break and a drink refill, but I don't remember exactly where we were. I know we were talking about Tom Cruise and Frank Mackey. Right. Do you remember? No. (laughs) All right, well, I do want to say this then. Back to the scene with uh, the interviewer. Um, he the way that scene is played between the two of them, he is he is in full uh, search and destroy mode, right th- through the whole thing, and then the way that thing turns, man. When, as soon as she starts to challenge him, he gets agitated at first, and then he just fucking goes dead. Yeah, and that that turn, man, is so fucking cool. To I see. really love that. As an interviewer, she's doing such a capable job, but she is also never aggressive with him. Like, no. if you'll notice, like, her question is not, who's your real, who are your real parents? Yeah. The question is, why would you lie? Yes. Which is a so much more interesting question to ask and so yeah. much less threatening of one to ask. Yeah. And, and then she, she, she wears kid gloves the whole time. And she's how she great. approaches that question, even yeah, because she's like, you know, I, you know, my people said this, and if that's true, then why would you lie? And boy, he's just, and you can see the anger, man, yeah, behind his eyes that this woman is besting him, and it's just powerful. Yeah, yeah, and that, and the explosion at the end where he goes in on her and she pushes him away is a great and awful moment. Yeah. Yeah. A thousand percent. Um, I feel like a good way that uh, to go about this, and it, it seems like this is what we're doing, is to talk about these characters. Yeah. And then the story just kind of comes around. So let's move on to uh, let's move on to John C. Riley and Melora Walters. One of my and, and it's kind of the heart of the film in a yeah. lot of ways, don't you think? Absolutely. I think Melora Walters is like you could argue the heart of Boogie Nights. Yeah. In her way. Uh she's also the heart of this film. Um she's so incredible in this and she gets the gavel to the film which I think is like a lot of people a lot of people like Lost in Translation for the same reason that I like Magnolia which is like you get that moment at the end of like a conversation building to this moment of realization that like this is the love that that we want to see that we've wanted to see for the entire film and yeah. we might we might just get it but when she looks directly at camera right at the moment that the song turns oh at the like, end it's it totally destroys me every time. Every, every single t- time. Every time it it grabs me by the throat and yeah. and squeezes. It's it's great. It's the best, and she is the reason why. Yeah, yeah, man. Because she's so raw in this movie, and um, I've known people like this that had uh, cocaine problems. Uh, you know, many years ago, obviously, when you're 49 years old, if you know cocaine addicts still, then you're traveling yeah. in the wrong circles. Right. But when I was younger, I knew people got mixed up in that stuff, man. Like good people. Yeah. Uh, and you and and you know, as 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 Rick James said, it's a hell of a drug. And it's done some uh, to see this played out on the screen to this damaged woman who was uh, molested by her father. 
and is just seeking out these uh, brief sexual liaisons uh, and, and doing cocaine. Like when she's doing cocaine on the date even, she's just seeking this goodness of this earnest cop. Man, it's just fucking heartbreaking. I think... Like if you're gonna look at this on paper and you're and you're sketching out her character as the coke addict, fuck up, uh, the victim of abuse, you might think that if you're if you're a normal moviegoer, you wouldn't have anything in common with this person. Yeah. But when I first saw this movie and every subsequent time I've ever seen it, like she's the person who can't get out of her own way. She's the one who's doing the line before going out on a date saying, you're so stupid. Yeah. Every part of her is is self-sabotaging in a way that is universal. Yeah. Like, everyone knows what that feels like, and it doesn't take being an addict to to know how that feels and to know how how awful it feels to see a way out or a good person in front of you and to think like... I'm just going to fuck this up the way I fucked up everything else. Yeah. And, and, and whether or not, like, I don't, and I don't think in saying this, that cocaine is a main character attribute of hers. It's just a way to get us to understand expediently, yeah. uh, how her mind works in a way that, yeah. that, that makes that happen. That like, that makes it universal for all of us. Yeah. I mean, her cocaine is someone's ice cream or, right inability to stand up to someone or whatever it's that thing yeah uh and and i i think i'm now realizing like one character thing in movies that i really respond to in such a sad way and this is not me because it's not a reflection on me but as a character who feels they're not worthy of love right is is really really tough for me to see maybe because i try to see good in people but like I see this character and uh, like she's worthy of love, but mm-hmm. she doesn't think she is. And it's, it's heartbreaking to see every time yeah. I see it in a movie. Yeah. And her rage at her father is so raw. Mm. And Man, that scene. I can't remember seeing anything like it before this film. The way that she screams at her father yeah. it feels like, like it feels like you shouldn't be seeing it. It's so intimate. Right. Yeah, and and this is and the way he plays this movie out is you don't know what had happened at that point. Yeah, like he reveals that at the end, which was really yeah. kind of a masterstroke, I think, because you don't you're you're just sort of it's that tease of like, well, why does she fucking hate this guy's guts? Because he seems he's coming there with his hat in his hand, like, yeah, fully, and uh, and she's just not having it. Yeah, you you place the blame on her before moving it through the course of the film to him. It's uh it's really strong stuff. Yeah, and then this cop And how about up. casting Philip Baker Hall as oh, yeah. that guy too? Like what a great decision. Like if there's anyone that I feel great love and admiration for, it's someone with that face. You love like, Sydney. <laughs> that that kind of man is is like that's the best. Like how could he possibly do wrong? Yeah. It's it's a surprise when you realize what's happened and it's devastating because it's him. Yeah, he looks like a he looks like a basset hound, you know. I love the detail of him coming home from work after after blowing the shoe. Like everything that could go wrong goes wrong at the 
at the kid game show, but when he comes home, they change him out of his shirt and they put him into another collared shirt. Right. <laughs> That's right. I love that detail so much. Like, like of course there is no, there's no casual wear for him. Right, right. That guy's old Hollywood. Oh, it's, yeah. It's, it's button-up shirts all the way down. All the way down. There's no T-shirt going on. Uh, yeah. it's, it's funny, that jogged my memory, though. I read that uh, uh, initially the Tom Cruise, the Frank T.J. Mackey character, was supposed to be like polo shirt and khakis guy. Yeah. And Tom Cruise took it in a whole different direction, and P.T. Anderson was just like fully on board, which is cool. I like that note. I think... I think it's grosser if it's polo shirt or two polo shirts because it's so <laughs> ever present. Right. Like it's He's, it's yeah. everywhere, but you so rarely see leather vest guy that it's Yeah. It it seems almost safer like to lampoon <laughs> that guy cuz there's so few my of big them. big fat fucking sausage. <laughs> and then he rhymes sausage with August. He did? Come August. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's really funny. Oh, man. Uh, That's a disturbing amount of recall that I have. No, that's great. I love it. Uh, All right, so back to Melora Walters. This cop comes into her life that is just this, uh, like, Ernest is the only way I can describe him. He he just, um, you know, he doesn't like foul language, and he's, and he, he, every, He's he's the he's the cop that you want out there, you know. He goes into every situation wanting everything to be okay. He read as Mormon to me before I knew what Mormon was. You yeah, know? totally. Like like super super quality guy. Like, and I mean that as a compliment. Like, yeah, yeah, quality fucking guy all the way. Like those Mormons. Yeah, those fucking Mormons. The, quality. Well, I mean. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Dude. The Mormons in my life are quality people. <laughs> no, Mormons are great. I was just, <laughs> I was just fucking around. I'm gonna get I emails love, from Mormons. I lo- like. I'm sure you read this the way I did, but like when you're a mid twenties Paul Thomas Anderson, you can go out and shoot your weird weekend movies with John C. Riley on a whim and see what comes out of it. And the idea that this character came out of one of their weekenders, like, yeah. like. The uh, the thought that stuck in my head for a long time after seeing this movie was like, it's interesting how I think we all narrate our own lives to a certain degree, but to actually say the words out loud yeah. is such a fun and neat quality to a character. So great, man. And you never don't believe, like, this is another magic trick, right? Uh-huh. This should be so dumb. It should be... Well, there's another one coming this too. This should not work. No, it shouldn't work. Um, it, it's a guy dictating his diary. Yeah. And it totally works. Yeah. But you know because it's John C. Riley, I think. Because he's the because he's every man. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah, that's the ultimate is so good, man. And he he doesn't do it the whole movie. Does he just do it twice, beginning and end, or is there another one? I want to say because it's PTA, like there's three. Yeah, right. But, there might be one in the middle. But I do really, I love it. And it's never, like it's it's never, you know, sometimes it's a crutch, right? When you when you throw the voiceover, yeah. like, like you're telling me and not showing me. And that's a weak, that's weak sauce, mostly. Mm-hmm. But when he's telling you, 
and showing you yeah. it's different. It's different it is, because dude. it's him. I totally agree, man. He's just got a superpower in a way that few actors do. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's that first scene, man, when they first meet each other and that music's going. It's so uh like intense and tense and uh she's so obviously fucking tweaked out and he waits six minutes before he says have you been using drugs it's because he's so much in his own head and this is like a human nature thing like he is self-criticizing the entire time too like where do i put my nightstick where do i put my hands i'm supposed to pretend that this coffee tastes good like he's running the script of how to look cool Yeah, yeah while at the same time she's running her own script about how to look cool and they're never they're never seeing each other. Yeah. They're only seeing themselves. Yeah, and it's a relationship that you know in a million years will never work. Uh, but you want it to, and you you might even b- buy it for a minute in the movie because they're so... Am I too endearing. much of a romantic by saying like I think that they make it? Really? I think, I think they make it. Oh, yeah. look at you. What a sweetheart. Yeah. Maybe so. Maybe so, because that that others that you know sort of the final scene where they go on the date together, that is such good stuff, man, and it's so yeah. like melodramatic and overwritten, but it just fucking works yeah. with them bearing their souls like that and and her just saying like being so raw and saying like i'm, I'm you wouldn't want to know me, man, basically you you don't want to know me, and he's saying, yes, I do, I do." We talk about date. this a lot on Friendly Fire, but the idea of a special effect, like like an airplane sequence, yeah, being done on wires and it looking really bad, uh-huh. but it looking really good if all of your effect sequences are shot on wires. It's right. it's the comparison, right? If you can be consistent with the effect, uh-huh. then it doesn't stick out as much. And I think that that is at play here with the dialogue. Because I think we both agree that it's overwritten in a lot of parts, but because in totality, there is so much of that sprinkled around, like you never get it compared to something else in such a way that makes you see the wire. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you you just want like, you really want these characters to be okay, these two. Yeah. Uh, Even if they're not together, like individually, because he's so... um, What's the word like, when you're he's so vulnerable, you know, when he loses that fucking gun, man. And what and he, is he doing in that scene too? Like they're both still thinking about themselves. Yeah. Like she's thinking about how fucked up she is. He's thinking about how he lost his gun. Like they're never quite seeing each other. Yeah. And that's the thing that 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 keeps their relationship going forward. Because if they ever truly knew each other entirely, I think you're right. I think they would never work but because they're both in their heads about their own shit right so they're do you so you think it's like a uh two people who are both just sort of damaged but they're damaged together damaged in incompatible ways maybe yeah yeah that scene where he loses that gun is so raw because he's just he starts crying at one point and he's so scared like you get that yeah, like I'm not a religious person, a but when he starts when he starts praying yeah. about the gun, like that that's devastating to me. 
No, it is. It totally is. He was so good. Um, and yeah. I meant to point out, too, the second ago when you were talking about The Weekender, uh, for the listeners, Paul Thomas Anderson made a, a short film when, with John C. Riley and I think Jennifer Jason Lee and who else? It was like one more person. Jennifer Jason Lee was the one I thought of, I, and I can't think of the third. But there was the third really famous person that yeah. just went out on a weekend and did this sort of cops spoof, and he grew out the mustache, and that's sort of how this character developed out, basically, as o- Officer Jim uh, Jim Cullen was that it or Jim Cummings? It's Jim Curring. Yeah, yeah, Jim Curring, which is such a cop name. Has a mustache ever belonged more on a face <laughs> than on John C. Riley's face? It's really yeah, perfect. It did. It, it really worked out for him. It looked good. I uh, love that kind of uh, lightning in a bottle, though. Like, yeah. let's just go experiment and see if this turns into a thing. And it full on turned into a B story here. Well, and, and the the opposite of Reed Rothschild. Yeah. Like, the the full, I mean, we haven't even kind of really said. It's, it's obvious if you're a fan of his, but this is the P.T. Anderson, the early... Uh, ensemble, yeah, and and his his players basically. I mean, Tom Cruise was new. Uh, Julianne Moore, Phil Hoffman, uh, Bill Macy, Melora Walters, Philip Baker Hall, John C. Riley, uh, Ricky Jay, Molina, Louis Guzman. <laughs> Louis Guzman was so funny in this movie. Yeah, <laughs> he had such a small part, but I love that Louis Guzman's only function in this movie was to talk shit to those kids. <laughs> He knows all of the baseball trivia and dairy <laughs> trivia. Any questions about cheese or dairy products? Oh, man. Uh, Thomas Jane, too. It's supposedly he played young Jimmy Gator. When was that scene? I don't even remember that. Uh, I think that was in the montage. So we get like the Entertainment Tonight montage. of <sighs> We see him through the years. Dude, I did not notice that. Yeah. I love Thomas Jane also. Can't uh, have too much Thomas great. Jane, but uh, yeah. Uh, a couple of Just other a little, little hit. Uh, tiny parts was, uh, before I knew who he was, Patton Oswalt at the beginning. Yeah, just baby face. Baby face. He's so cute. Yeah. Uh, and then the other one was, uh, I don't even know if you know this. You probably do because you know this movie. But the guy on the other end of the phone call with Phil Hoffman, Chad, when he's trying to say, he's like, this is the scene in the movie, which yeah. we, need to, we need to talk about that. That's PFT. You know who that is? It's PFT. It's Paula Tompkins. Never knew that until today. It's incredible trivia. Oh, and yeah. <laughs> like in the, and I haven't been in the same room as him very often, but it's, it's been the thing that I've wanted, that I've oh, wondered really? about a lot. Like I, I wonder how much he gets chatted up about that. Uh, well, I, I love that I know this now, because um, next time I see him, I will bring it up. But I knew he was uh, in that sort of P.T. Anderson, John Bryan crew from the Largo set back in those days. There's a lot of great voice work in this movie, like Marilyn Rashkub as the as Janet. Did you recognize oh, her voice? No. I totally didn't know that was her. I want I want you to give me the information, Janet. Wow. I want you to do your fucking job. I am doing my fucking job, Frank. Yeah, here she That's is. That's her. Yeah. Oh, uh, now that I'm looking at the cast too, what the the <laughs> She's awesome. The I guess he just had a bit part in this thing. And guy. Mary Lynn Rashkoop came back for uh Punch, Punch Truck, Truck Love. Oh yeah, she had a big part in that. Yeah. Um as the the most aggro of the aggro sisters. 
She's great. Um, Alan Graff, who played the guy in the uh, donut shop in Boogie Nights, who pulled out that fucking Magnum. Apparently, he plays a firefighter in this movie. No way. Didn't know that. And I mean, a, young, a young Clark Gregg is the uh, AD. I love the Paul Thomas Anderson players. Yeah. Like uh, the repertory theater that he assembles for every film is a delight every time. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and Tom Cruise's cousin. What a shock. Um, <laughs> let's talk about the Philip Seymour Hoffman and, uh, and fucking Robards, man. Like, I was hoping we would. I oh, this God. is going to go the whole two hours, and I've got I'm glad. time. Do you? Are you okay? Yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah. All right. Good. It's it's like eleven o'clock here in Atlanta, but I'm 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 roaring. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, man. Philip Seymour Hoffman, and I think I mentioned this in Boogie Nights. Uh. P.T. Anderson had had always kind of written these asshole or freaky or weird roles for him, and he said he wanted to finally give him a role that was most like him. And apparently Phil in Magnolia as the nurse was the most true to who Philip Seymour Hoffman was, which really fills me up and makes me super sad. Yeah, it's it's great and it's devastating to hear that because uh, he's so human. His character is so human in this film. Maybe the... I mean... Rose Gator is great, but we don't know her the way that we know Phil Parma. Yeah. Phil Parma might be the real heart of the entire thing. I Yeah. I know we said that was John C. Raleigh and Melora Walters, but yeah, Phil Parma is pure goodness in this movie. He really is. And uh he's just he's just absorbing, right? Like he never he never reacts and deflects. He's never on offense. Mm-hmm. He's always absorbing and letting things move through him, right? So, yeah. like when uh, when uh, when Julianne Moore's character is screaming at him, he's just like letting it go through. Yeah, when man. when Jason Robards is telling him the story, he's just listening. When Tom yep. Cruise is threatening to kick the fucking dogs, he's <laughs> he's just there as as like he's like totemic in the center of this film. Yeah, and he even gets like some of the low key best lines like when he calls up the pink dot delivery god it's so good and have, and like uh, and the like, operator yeah. asks him if he still wants all the groceries <laughs> along with the the magazines yeah he's so innocently yeah doesn't have any idea why anyone would question the I entire know, grocery order yeah yeah there's so many great little moments like that with Phil Parma that's one of them and the other one that comes to mind is one that would have been so easy to cut out of this movie is when um, toward the end, when, when Partridge is literally dying, uh, he knows this and he gets the, the relief nurse at the door. Yeah. You could have easily cut that scene, but he goes to the door. I love it so much. And, and opens it up just a little bit. And it's like, nah, I'm just gonna, I don't know. I'm going to write it out. Or I can't remember what he said exactly. Yeah. But uh, that that's like such a quick little scene that says so much about who this guy is. Like he knows I'm going to to be with this man when he dies tonight, and I want to yeah. be there. Yeah, it was a spectacular role, and that moment is so crucial. You're right when he tells Juan that he's going to see it through. You never see his face. You're yeah. just 
you're locked on to Phil Parma. I think it was Paul F. Tompkins. <laughs> it's the back of Juan's He's head. everywhere. Uh, all, the, all the fake cigarette stuff. That's such that's such great little detail yeah. in a, in a hospice palliative care situation like that. Yeah. God, that it's so heavy, and I love how Jason Robards is just lit on that craftmatic adjustable bed, like yeah. in the living room. Like <laughs> you know when you've reached a point in your declining health when the bed is in the living room. Yeah, that shit is fucking bad. Yeah. And that's where Jason Robards is in this movie. He's in the living room. Well, he was asked at some point, what room do you want to die in? Yeah. And that was it. It was the living room. Yeah. And and then, you know, of course, with this storyline, you bring in Julianne Moore, who's one of my favorite actors ever. Yeah. And, uh, and when I was watching Magnolia last night, I was like, God, has she ever been better? And then I remember Boogie Nights and everything else she's done. And it's like, well, just pick a movie. And she's always great. She's so capable in the margins, both in Boogie Nights and in Magnolia, that like I wonder, I wonder if PTA like has has the instinct to pull her back into the center the way that he took uh, John C. Riley and like made him right. less weird and brought him back into the middle because she's so dynamic and explosive and scary. Uh huh. And beautiful in what she does in this movie that, like, you know she can do it all. It's got to be hard when you've got her to not use her to her full potential this way. Yeah. She's she's a, she's a fucking machine gun of emotions. Yeah. And you can't just, you can't dial her back. I don't know how you can. And in this movie, like, the, that's the it's the purest example of that. Like the, the scene of her going to the pharmacy and oh, taking God. that umbrage that she does with the pharmacist and oh, dude, all of her scenes with, with call her me lady, you call yeah. me lady. Yeah. That's, that's such a specific, like great thing. Uh, I mean, she has two really, I mean, she has a bunch of standout scenes that kind of all are, but that yeah. one and the scene with, uh, with Michael Murphy as the attorney. Yeah. Are just so fucking rock solid, man. That attorney is one of those low-key parts of this film yeah. that is great. Like a real glue part. Yeah. And and she makes it she's one of these actors that always makes it look so easy. Like I don't know anything about her process, but Julian yeah. Moore strikes me as someone who waltzes on the set and can just fucking turn it on like that. I mean Meryl Streep gets the rep as best actor in the world, yeah. but like I feel like Julianne Moore's in the conversation and I, yeah, she's always and I great. fully believe that. Like, I think she can, there's no one, there are actors better. There are actors as good as her, but no actor that's better than her. I think 1000% agree, man. She is, she is amazing every single time. She's never done anything shitty. Yeah. Have you ever seen uh, safe? The Todd yeah. Haynes film? <laughs> oh, yeah. <man. laughs> yeah. That, that was like, that may have been like the first thing I saw her in actually. Now that I think about it, I saw that in college. Yeah. When I worked at the, the cool video store. Uh, and that was, you know, that was during that great early nineties sort of indie period. I love that you had a cool video store phase. Cause I had one of those too. Oh, you worked in one. Yeah. I worked in a grocery store video department. Whoa. Wow. That was the best department, man. 
Uh, what grocery store? Seattle? Safeway, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I used to sell, uh, I used to rent videos and sell lottery tickets and rent out the, the rug doctor machines. That would all happen at that department. Holy shit. Yeah. Lottery, carpet cleaner, and videos? Yeah. Oh, my God. Is that did it? The Is whole that thing. I think I think I sold cigarettes there, too. I think that was a part of it. But not a lot of cigarette business Man, where I was. You had me going. You throw in rug doctor. Yeah. Rug <laughs> doctor is a very specific <laughs> reference. And that was a pain in the ass, too, because like to, you had three of them in the store. Yeah, and you had to you had to break out the binder, and the binder had that uh, <laughs> that carbon paper, like like Chuck. If you're gonna rent the rug doctor, man, we got to fill out this thing. Oh yeah, and so it's you and me flipping it back and forth. Like you got to fill out your name and address and your phone number. I got to do I got to do the slidey credit card thing over yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, those. It's things. a whole process. Oh my god. Yeah. How many credit cards did you mangle with those? I mangled a few in my day. All of them. I mean, the paper was. Yeah illegible it was bad it was bad but the the best part of being a grocery store video department clerk was the videos man like i would yeah i i'm not going to get in any trouble for saying this i would take them home i'm taking home new releases every night and i'm watching them yeah because you got to was safeway gonna come after you (laughs) no i don't i don't think so i think yeah they so, don't want any part of me. I'm, <laughs> I'm driving business their way. So, um, do they still rent VHSs? God. <laughs> uh, a co-host, uh, Benjamin R. Harris, and my co-host on uh, all my other shows mentioned uh, we were talking about how often we would go to Suncoast and buy the VHS tapes and how I specifically would get the letterbox VHS versions of movies. Cause that's the only place that you could get them. The, the mall video store where you would spend 20 uh, or $30 on a VHS tape crazy. to get the letterbox version Jeez. of like, I forgot of, they were that much they of, were, of right? as good as it gets or something. <laughs> like I'm talking about something like of that era. As good as it gets. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's worth the 1995. That was a that was an era. <laughs> so, uh Robards, like we really haven't focused on him enough. He's uh this was his last role, obviously. He uh I don't think I don't know if he knew he was dying when he made this, but I I think he <laughs> knew it was close or something like that because I know It sure he, feels like the part is imbued with yeah, that energy. Yeah, absolutely. And Boy, he's good. That last, that last fucking monologue, man. And you've got the book, so you've read it. Like I encourage you, if you're a screenwriter or just into uh, exploring what a script might look like on a page, you've never done it. Go read that monologue at the end of this film from the Partridge character. Unbelievable. I mean, I know a lot of the backstory is John C. Riley. And Paul Thomas Anderson fucking around on a weekend. But like, I always wonder this in films like this. What's the scene you start with and then write in reverse? Like, like spiraling out from that centerpiece. And I yeah. can't help but think that this is that moment. This is where you begin your film is this monologue. And then you write outwards because the, the message of using your regret is something that's resonated with me my whole life 
Yeah. The goddamn regret. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the story he tells is awful, and he understands what a terrible person he's been. But the instrumentality of making mistakes, the idea that, like, the truly bad people make mistakes and learn nothing from them and keep making them and don't care. But there is, like, you can find redemption or or something in at least recognizing it and using it for good. Yeah. Yeah, that is... uh... I wonder what like the the brain space that you're in when you're writing something this heavy. I wrote a movie after this, uh, and looking back, Magnolia was a hundred percent why I went in this direction because I've only always written comedy scripts. Uh, Your reign of salamanders scene was pretty <laughs> derivative, Chuck. I mean, I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't going to give you notes on the show, but. Yeah, it was a little too much on the. It was a little too on you the should know that. <laughs> I should have. Um, you should know better. <laughs> I wrote a. Uh, I wrote a movie, a big fucking L.A. drama. It was totally Magnolia. That's why I wrote it. Uh, it was called Hollywoodland before the movie Hollywoodland came out. Wow. And it was about these interwoven stories on. Uh, in Los Angeles on Christmas Eve uh, and Christmas Day when L.A. got its first freak snowstorm. That's great. Ever. And the movie Crash did that afterward. (laughs) And I remember both these things happened, and I was like... (laughs) And you know what I did? This is a movie that... uh, I think I've told the story on the show. My my wife, Emily, I'm not telling you that. uh, I'm familiar. I know. Uh, she was a producer in music videos and she worked on a Black Crows video. Does she that, have Michael Bay stories too? No, she didn't have Michael Bay stories, but she's yeah. got a bunch of music video stories, as do I, because I was her PA. But uh, she did a Black Crows video that shot way out in the fucking boonies of the mountains, like north of Los Angeles. And I was on that. And Kate Hudson was there because that's when she was married to cool. uh, Chris Robinson. Yeah. And I fucking walked up and handed her my script. And said, there's a part in there that I wrote for you. Because <laughs> oh, she was who I had in mind for real. That is this, so awesome. I know, man. And I and I and looking back, it's so funny that I had the balls to do that. But I watched her sit in her chair and open it up from a distance. I didn't like stand there. I like just did it and left. And you she was got very to. Sweet. Yeah, you got to see. And I and I, I like you know did the peek around the corner, and she sat there and fucking read it for like ten minutes. Wow. And. uh you know, obviously, that's as far as it ever went. But, like, it's weird to think that I handed Kate Hudson a script and she read the first 10 or 15 pages. That's so amazing, Chuck. I'd like to get a, uh, <laughs> I would like to get a, uh, I'd like to get a copy of that. I don't even know if I have a copy of that anymore. Wow. I know. How dumb was I? The PA Not- handing a script off. <laughs> Not dumb. That's what you do. That's what you did at the time. Well, you know I what, I mean, that's dude, not something you do now, but... you know, No. You know what my motto... No, I kind of would. I'm kind of naive like that, or hopeful, but the uh, my motto back then, and Emily always thought this was really kind of sweet and maybe right, was 
not everyone has to love what you've written. Just the right person has to love what you've written. That's great. And like yeah. Kate Hudson could have loved it and championed it and sent it to her agent. And that was always my thinking was like, man, if I get the right person to like it, that's all it takes. You know, Chuck, if you don't give her that script, what do you have? You have regret. The goddamn regret. <laughs> and uh, and and that's that's like that's been a driving force for a lot of my life. Like the regret of yeah. of uh, of not doing something is far worse than the regret of doing something that that you wish you hadn't. So like yeah. that, I I hope you're glad to have done it. For oh, totally. As, for as hilarious as that story is, yeah. There's there's no like shame or like oh what a dumb dumb. Uh, even though I might have just called myself a dum dum like five minutes ago for doing it, but nah. I, I like young sweet Chuck who would uh, who would go pass off a script as a PA. I like that kid. Plus, like if you're Kate Hudson, like that's that's a story. If you're an actor, that I think is in the zeitgeist, like, and I feel like Paul Thomas Anderson is an example of this. Like you get you get a young creative person. Uh, who is fortunate enough to be in the right place at the right time, surrounded mm-hmm. by the right people. Kate Hudson yeah. has a PA on her set uh-huh. who just handed her a script. Like, what if? <laughs> what if this guy's that. great? She's got to read it. She's got to read it for 10 minutes. You could, be, you could be something special. Well, and I caught her at the right time, too, because she was just bored on this set. There was nothing going on. So, th- What was the song of the music video? Uh, Do you remember? It was... Um, it was one. Of, it was really late. It was one of their late. Like I love those guys at first, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, and here's another little story. I bought my very first guitar from Rich Robert, uh, Rich Robinson. <laughs> he he worked at Clark Music on uh, Ponce in Atlanta. That's amazing. And this was before Black Crows. This is when he played with. Uh, they were Mr. Crow's Garden, and he gave me a guitar pick and was like, "Hey, you should come out and see us. We do like REM covers and stuff like that." Wow. And I had that pick for many many years. Uh, did it, did it get broken? What happened to the pick? Oh, you know, it's a guitar pick. You lose it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. So, uh, there's a few more things we got to talk about. Um, yeah. The looming rainstorm, uh, and the rain, and then eventually the clearing, and then the frogs as a device is so effective in this movie. Yeah. The way he plays with weather in L.A. especially, and you will learn as you live there, a big rainstorm is a big deal. Because it feels like a mood, right? Yep. Big time. Like when you see the rain coming down in sheets on the windows behind our characters, you recognize visually through that language that they're going through a thing. Right. You don't need to understand the dialogue to know that. Yeah, and that thing is just as weird as, uh, or, or as actually as commonplace as a rainstorm in L.A., which just doesn't happen that much. If you live yeah. in Atlanta or Seattle, actually Seattle gets more like the misty stuff. Sure. But Atlanta gets those big storms. And uh, when you live in L.A., man, you'll see, like, you will go a long fucking time, dude, without seeing any rain. It's been happening a lot uh, since I've moved here. It's And raining? I don't like it. I don't like it at all, Chuck. It's raining there? Uh, it's going to rain, I think, this weekend, and it's rained for like five five days straight yeah, uh, a week weird. ago. So it's been a strange spring. 
Yeah, L.A. is not a town that uh, rain doesn't fit there. It just feels out of place and weird. No, yeah. Randy Newman isn't writing songs about that. <laughs> uh, we should talk about the editing uh, for a yeah. second because yeah, the, just the the weaving of the story and the pace and the and the symphonic sort of orchestral pace of this movie is really impressive. I mean, if you're given Final Cut and you're told you can do anything, I mean, this is a film that uses a fire transition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it uses uh, multiple whip pan cuts, which which is very flourishy. Like, that's, a, that's really masturbatory in a fun way. Yeah. Uh, the the rack focus into Jason Robards' lungs and the professor, <clears throat> yeah, like pointing at the schematic. I I love all this visual language. I I love it so much. I think it's part of what makes the film great. But like, this is a guy who was given the blank check, but also, I like I hesitate to use the word restraint, but like, I'm describing three scenes in a three hour film. Like he's not cartooning up. He's not ham and cheesing the entire runtime with his visual flourishes. And I think, and I think that's emblematic of Paul Thomas Anderson. Like, I think, I think he knows better than to fuck it up with a bunch of that stuff. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, he's, he's like so showy as a filmmaker. Um, but, but I just I, I buy it like he it never felt like a he never felt like a phony to me and it's very easy to come in there and especially back then and sort of fling the camera all over the place and come across as a phony that's just ripping people off like it just it always worked for me for him I wonder it's a if it's a matter of volume because like we're talking about all this stuff in the same movie that a reign of frogs happens in uh, and right. <laughs> a same movie that the entire cast sings along to an Amy Mann song. Well, I was going to ask you about that. What do you think about that? I love it. Yeah. I I wholeheartedly love it, but I wonder if if this were a film where only one of those things happened, if that would be the clang. Yeah. And if it's only because of the volume of those things that makes the rest of it mm-hmm. smoothed out. Yeah, maybe. You know? Like, is that is that how you do it? Maybe so, dude, because if there's just the one thing, it's really... It's the jingling keys, but, but in yeah. three hours, if you're doing... If you're doing uh, your bookends, uh-huh. if you're doing your 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 whip pans and your transitions and your reign of frogs and your... Character singing and your character singing—it's it, it's just a bombardment of it. But it's not—it doesn't never feels like you're being bombarded. But if it's if it's a volume of these things, yeah, and it's spaced out in such a way that that they all can coexist together, it I works. Think, I think you're right because maybe that's the thing because it's a filmmaker saying, "Listen, this is this kind of movie in every fucking way." It's going to be existential and thematic and symbolic, and I'm going to really just fucking throw it all out there, and I'm going to have character singing, diegetic music, and yeah. uh, and it's it's going to be showy with the camera, and I'm I'm going to have these kind of uh, obvious bookends and tell you what the theme is, like that's what this movie is. Like 
like it or hate it. And there are people that really don't like this movie too. Yeah. And I, I totally recognize that this, like, this is a very divisive film to go see when you're in college, when it's, uh, it's like a time. I feel like it was more fraught than high school in that way. Like I'm, I'm trying to make new friends and fit in and, feel like if you're a magnolia person you're my kind of person and if yeah. you're not then you can still be my kind of person but i think <laughs> i think it probably takes something else yeah <laughs> like what other what, what other movies have you seen <laughs> yeah yeah like let's start the conversation i feel yeah. like boogie nights was at scorsese in a like here it is man like we're contemporaries yeah like like this is this is answering that call. Do you feel like this film is at anyone specifically in the way that that one might have been? I don't know. I mean, he's always, uh, or not always, because I think he's kind of mixed it up more since then. But Boogie Nights and Magnolia, I think both are Scorsese esque. You might want to go to Altman a little bit. Yeah, uh, it's certainly reminiscent of Shortcuts in Nashville and these big sort of sprawling interwoven stories. But I feel like it's Paul Thomas Anderson really putting his flag in the ground. Yeah. In a big way, you know? It's amazing how only a few films into his career he he developed a style that is uniquely his. And very early on he was compared to Altman and Scorsese, but now I don't feel like yeah. he's in those sentences at all anymore. He's very much his own person and he has been for so long. Yeah, it's, you, uh, uh, it's really you, an achievement. You know what his next thing is, right? No, I don't. Oh, dude. He's making a 1970s high school movie set in the San Fernando Valley. What? Yes, and it's uh, I think the lead character is like a former child actor or something like that. Or a current child actor, I don't know. And I know it was supposed to be shooting starting in February, so it's probably been interrupted if it did start in February. But when I saw that, I was like, oh, man. He's like, I, I, and, I've, and I've loved, I love his career, and I love where yeah. he's gone and how challenging and how mature he's become as a filmmaker. But I'm like, man, get, get back to the valley. I want to see another one of those movies again. Hard agree. Yeah. Wow. I, yeah, I'm just looking this up myself. That's That's going to be great. Yeah. It's going to be there's, amazing. There's been a couple of uh, Directors Guild uh, podcasts. I don't know if you listen to that podcast at all, mm-hmm. but uh, where Paul Thomas Anderson and Quentin Tarantino have done a couple of sit downs with each other oh, about wow. film. And to hear them chop it yeah. up is just the ultimate. It's great. When is it's someone going to tell PTA about this? What we're doing? <laughs> I mean, someone's got to got to give him the what's up about movie crush right yeah someone should give him the what's up all right well let's finish up then uh the very end of the film uh that great uh final uh, john c Riley diary in the car and it, it says it goes a little something like this uh that's the tough part what can we forgive that's the tough part of the job tough part about walking down the street and then that needle drop on that great final song and then you hear you you don't hear but you hear he enters that bedroom and you know they're talking and you surmise that he's saying like I understand I don't care 
I, I yeah. like, I want to love you. Yeah. And she gives that little smile and that look at camera, man. And it's just fucking perfect. Actors have that special gift of like filling up their lower eyelid, like yeah. all the way, like <laughs> filling them up like they're fucking buckets yeah. before like dropping them. Like it's a fucking Disney ride. And, and, uh, Melora Walters is just the ultimate at this. Like, yeah. like she's perfectly timed and her turn to camera is so beautiful that, and it's, and it's timed with the Amy man in such a way that it's, it's, it's gotta be so stressful if you're a filmmaker to have written this thing and to see it come to its conclusion and to have an idea of a piece of music for it. And like, if I could ask Paul Thomas Anderson anything, I think it would be like, if this film was shot in any kind of sequence, how nervous he might've been in stepping up to this scene, knowing how much was hanging on it. Yeah. Because if you don't get this right, I don't know if the entire film comes together in the way that it does. Yeah. Tonally. And then what is your plan B? I don't think there is one. This has yeah. to work. It's got to work, man. And so the song's got to be right. He's got the song in the holster. Like all the Amy Mann songs were were chambered for the entire film. You've got the right actors. You got to hope your dialogue is right. But what? But if it, even if it's not, we're going to... We're going to turn that down. We're just going to make it about her face yeah. and the music. Like, like we can make that work. It's perfection. It's, it's awesome. And I love, I love the lack of vanity of it in that he wrote dialogue for this scene, but it's, it's turned all the way down. We're just yeah. what we're hearing the music and we're watching the performance and it's, uh, and it's someone directing an actor and it's an yeah. actor performing as good as they can and it's it's the it's the ultimate it's what movies are all about is this yep. moment absolutely dude great movie yeah thanks man i think we did it you're my kind of person chuck if you like <laughs> magnolia we're oh, in the dude, club this is so much fun i can't wait let's like let's do it again in the next like within the month because we're all around and uh this is a great hang studio and, setup uh, now so anytime Totally, man. I love you, brother. And this is great. You too. And uh, go listen to Greatest Gen, Greatest Discovery, Friendly Fire. Follow you on Twitter. Where where can you be found? I'm at Cut for Time on Twitter, spending more time than is healthy there these days. All right. Well, don't do that. But this is perfect because yeah. I literally have 15 seconds <laughs> before my uh, recorder cuts off. It says one hour, uh, two hour limit. Wow. So we're counting down. There's 10 seconds left. All right. And we'll just take it all the way to the end. Thanks, I'm gonna brother. look at I'm gonna look into the camera about to cry. <laughs> well no, my computer's not dying. Goodbye. <laughs>
it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done.